0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone.
1: This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
0: My name is Will Swenson, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theater podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. He's the Tony nominee and Broadway leading man that's made fronting an ensemble of fellow players his norm, having starred in some of the most exciting and lauded pieces of theatre in recent years. Not one to limit himself, he's gone from the darker side of characters in shows such as Waitress and Les Mis, to letting it all hang out in hair, alongside Assassins, Brooklyn, Disaster and now Broadway-bound new musical A Beautiful Noise. So here, in an exclusive conversation just ahead of him starting rehearsals for A Beautiful Noise, the new Neil Diamond musical, we discuss the personal milestone of joining the Sondheim legacy with the release of the Assassin's cast album and the joys of being part of such a musical masterpiece. The wild ride of bringing hair from Broadway direct to West End audiences, and now starring as drag queen Tick in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, taught about serving it up in heels and living life on the more fabulous side. This was such a joy, so please help me welcome Will Swenson, here now on this, the next episode of Eleven, the official theatre podcast. (music) To ensure the safety of all involved in this episode of Eleven, Will and I connected with this conversation digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy.
1: Please help me welcome to this, the next episode of 11. Where there's a will, there's a way, I believe is the saying. Well, how about two of them? I'm William, he's Will. So from one will to another. Hi, Will Swenson, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing, Will? Actually, very rare for me. And people go, this can't be true, but genuinely is that I meet another will. I don't think there's that many of us in the I world. I say the same thing and people are like, that's a super common name, but um, but I I beg to disagree. Well, it's nice to meet another one. I feel like we have some form of connection instantly. So I'm a, more <laughs> of a William, Are you a, you're
0: more of a will, right? I go by will, yeah. Uh, yeah. But but I think all great theatre uh, um, artists have, have been Will's, right? Oh, absolutely. There's right. certainly one that comes
1: to mind that's... Uh, one in particular. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he did all right for himself. He was all yeah, right. Yeah. He, he he probably well, the
0: name, though, that, that sparked all the genius.
1: That's obviously why we're just so great, right? You know, it's exactly. just... Yeah, it's just a natural thing. We're just going along (laughs) with the punches. Are you ever a William when you get in trouble? Are people like William or are you just... (laughs) Yes, yes, I was a William Robert Swenson. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's always always parents that do that. Well, thank you so much (laughs) for agreeing to do this. Such a pleasure to get an opportunity to talk to you about a very, very special project, which I think now feels more important than ever because I don't know, and I imagine it's exactly the same in the United States, but whenever anybody talks about assassins, it's like gold tier in terms of musical theater. Like, I don't (laughs) really think... There are many other shows and cast recordings and albums that sort of get us good. And I can imagine for you when the opportunity was brought to you to say, yeah, of course, I want to be part of it. You were like, I have to do it.
0: Yeah, it's just one of those. The second you discover it, I feel like and most musical theater actors would agree. It's just you're just entranced and instantly want to be a part of it. I discovered it when I was in college. And I was like, oh, well, there's like 12 parts in here that I would love to play and um, knew the score very well. And legit, when I got the call, I was just like, yes, I'll do it. Who else is doing it? Who's direct? What? You know, it was like I just, it's just one of those you just want to be a part of.
1: Do you remember the sort of the thing it was that you like so much? Because what's so interesting about the show and you reference the different parts is that people see themselves in so many different parts of it that everyone sort of has a different answer.
0: I, I just, I mean, crazy is always fun to play. And there's a whole lot of crazy in this show. And I, I you know, I like to identify as an actor who happens to be able to sing a little bit I mean I started in college by just studying theater and then I kind of moved over to musical theater because I realized there were more musicals produced than plays and thought I could sing all right so it's just an actor's musical I mean first and foremost it's very much Assassin's very much feels like a play that breaks into song that has songs in it and it's Sondheim so it's just like challenging and and incredibly uh, character-driven songs. And just, it's all the best stuff that you look for in any show. Did it meet your expectations
1: you referenced at the start for the person that first discovered it and sort of fell in love with it? Did you think very much back to, I guess, to the person, what they would have thought about you doing it now? Were you like, this is kind of cool, but weird?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And to have done it in such a highly esteemed company was incredible. Like our, our cast was Uh, filled with people who have led their own Broadway shows, let alone put, you know, 10 of them in the same show. It was just, I felt felt like uh, to an extent, I'd been (laughs) selected for the all-star team. As far as comparing it to like how I would have envisioned it uh, 20 years ago when it came out, it's it's such a different musical now, just in the way that it rings in, in our culture that's changed so much. As far as gun culture and, uh, and American entitlementism and like that whole thing has changed a bit. And to an extent, that's probably why Assassins wasn't a massive hit right off the bat, is it was just sort of ahead of its time and was saying things that the country wasn't really prepared to investigate. Do you
1: think it's become more
0: relevant as time's gone on? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it sounds cliche sometimes. And, and I think as actors, we say this a lot because we're looking for it. But but as we were rehearsing it, we just kept saying, it's as if this piece were written last month and is, is saying things that are desperately needed to be, be said now. You know, it probably always was was this relevant, but um, but it sure is is ringing much more in the in the verbiage of what's going on in in political discourse and and social discourse. Yeah.
1: So it's the golden question, but having been at the center of it and a part of it, have you sort of figured out what the golden egg is? What it is specifically about this show and this music and this production that that we just all fall so madly in love with every time the possibility
0: of either being part of it or seeing it comes around? I I mean I there are so many elements elements of it that. Uh, that are intriguing and that and that pull you in i kept coming back to as i was doing it is is the genius behind their angle they somehow through this bizarre idea of putting nine or however many of us are uh, assassins in the same room and just letting them sort of hash things out among one another they somehow make make it funny comical you find yourself kind of endeared to these these crazy people troubled people <laughs> and laughing at the most horrific things that have happened over the course of this country's history, some of the most horrific. And so it's almost as if we're we're participants in creating the the irony of it. I, I, I can't explain it, I'm, I'm not smart enough. Just the fact that we're liking these horrible people somehow turns the bad guy thing on its head and makes us realize that we're part of the problem. Like, you know, popular culture is so intrigued by this violence, we pay so much attention to it. And my character Gato was like, a massive celebrity and he got exactly what he wanted. He wanted attention, he wanted to be, other than wanting to be president of the United States, but he got everything that he wanted. He wanted to be the center of it all um, with adoring fans and he got it all. He just had to, you know, get get hung from the gallows as a, as a price for it.
1: As an audience, do you feel that level of excitement as well? Because the people sat in the audience will have been the same type of person that you were going, I love this show and I want to see it and be part of it. I think so, I mean, <laughs>
0: It it was an interesting production in in that the the theater that we did it at classic stage is a very small space and it's um, almost in the round. It's a thrust stage. And so it's only about four rows deep on all sides. So it was very immediate and it felt very sort of delicate because we're saying and doing these awful things. But because we were all clearly in the same room, there was almost not a fourth wall in this production. It felt more garish and brash and, and tasteless to be doing some of this stuff. I wish I could speak to the audience's experience uh, of this production, but uh, I didn't get to see it. I was on the other side. (laughs) You're doing the other job, the fun bit. Add in then the music
1: and lyrics to this, which as, as much as I sort of joke at the start about being gold tier, it sort of is the creme de la creme. I can imagine for you as an artist, as somebody that very much leans into your acting and then also your singing, you sort of feel very enriched by the material. Do you sort of feel like you have struck gold every day when you get to go and sing Stephen Sondheim's lyrics and music?
0: Yeah, yeah, you just do. When you're in a a show where your song is maybe a really pretty song that d- just doesn't necessarily have something to do with with furthering the story or or comes or, or isn't necessarily coming out of the character's wants and needs, you know, it's fine. It's fine, and it services the the project. And it, it you know some musicals accomplish that better than others. Sondheim being the genius that that he was, we all as actors kind of love to have that kind of meat and potatoes to 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 connect to. And then in particular doing this. show show at the end of Sondheim's life was was uh, incredible he came to our opening night performance and our opening night party and we got to sit around with them and he you know he told us stories about the show and creating the show with John Weidman and so not not only get to do it but to, to get to have his input and and his approval it just felt pretty pretty uh, magical and you know one of those boxes that you can check off for the rest of your life and be like, yep, I I actually got to do that. And it's, you know, we all felt like we were we were getting to to work with with uh, the Mozart of our time. Just kind of, he's he's the greatest of, of them all.
1: They sort of say, don't they in the industry like don't sing the song that made the person famous for that person because it's
0: it's always never really a good idea. <laughs>
1: but I can imagine with Stephen Sondheim, it's the complete opposite.
0: You you, you want to sing it for him. <laughs> we were all just terrified. Um, you know, you want you want to impress him so much, but you know, it, um, he he famously was you know he wouldn't give you a compliment if he didn't mean it just a completely honest a genuine teacher in in the way that he he worked but wasn't going to tell you you were wonderful if if it wasn't working so you know, we all wanted to meet with his approval and and uh, luckily he liked the show.
1: So when somebody presents the opportunity for a cast recording to be sort of cemented in history, for people to pay reference to this in the future, this will sort of be their staple or perhaps even their first introduction to Assassins. Do you leap at the opportunity or do you take just a cautious pause and go, hold on a second, this is a moment that I would have only have dreamt of
0: before. <laughs> I mean, I'm always thrilled to get a cast recording, probably for ego reasons, but I just love, I love the historical record of it like um, in New York I don't know if, if uh, Britain has this sort of thing where the, we have the Lincoln Center Library for the Performing Arts where many many shows get recorded for, for posterity that that wouldn't have gotten recordings otherwise and you can go to the library kind of as research and watch all of these wonderful shows. So I feel like uh, cast recordings and, and they they're a little less produced nowadays for some reason I guess because they're they're expensive but I just love having the historical marker of it. I mean, there are already two uh, recordings of assassins, terrific recordings, but each is certainly unique with the casting and and the the. in our instance, particularly the orchestrations, I was thrilled to learn that we were going to get a cast recording for our orchestrations. Our music director, Greg Jarrett, did these incredible new orchestrations with a, a more of a, an Americana feel. Sondheim wrote the show with each song sort of representing the historical era in which the the assassin lived, and so it's this great tableau of um, mosaic of of American folk styles, particularly American music styles. And the uh, the arrangements really played to that strength. Lots of American instruments, banjos and and um, mandolins and fiddles, and brought I feel like a real a real kind of uh, depth and authenticity to to some of it that was super enjoyable. And also, you are now part
1: of the Sometime legacy. We talk about what he did for the world, but you are very much part of that now because his work continues on through all of us. And this is a great example of that. And I can imagine that's something you're probably very proud of.
0: Oh my goodness. I'll brag about it forever. Yeah. Let's keep talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be my pleasure.
1: Did he get the opportunity, do you know, before he passed away to actually get to hear the cast recording? Did he sort of get to explore it in any capacity? Not the cast recording because we hadn't done it yet.
0: But I I think that there was an idea that one might happen and I I imagine he was fine with that.
1: (laughs) In terms of listening to stuff back, it's always interesting talking to to stars of theatre because some people love being able to have their performance sort of in into a recording if it's through as you referenced a, a filmed recording or if it's through cinema now which has become very popular and makes mm. uh, the theatre very accessible some people absolutely run the other way they say I'll do it but I'll never listen to it how, how
0: does it sort of play out for you I can't stand listening to, to myself on, on recordings I, I judge I judge the heck out of it I'm just one of those that overthink it and um, maybe that's why I like theatre as a medium a little more than film and tv because it's film and tv is so locked in and that's one performance that you did once and it got recorded, and what people will see forever and there's certainly value in in that and the opportunity to get to do it on multiple takes etc but theater is is such an awesome ethereal art form in that uh it's different every night and then it just vanishes into the ether um so locking something into a specific that's what I did this one time I guess for me is a little frustrating because it's like oh but there were so many other versions and facets and ideas that that you know May or may not have played out in that particular performance so
1: as your career progresses and you get the opportunity to because you've played so many varying different roles sort of real sort of opposite ends of the spectrum when when you get so many of these roles under your belt and you also get lauded for your performances in reviews but then also with tony nominations does it make you more conscious about the roles that you want to firstly a, take on, but also the performance that you deliver? Do you feel there's that extra level of pressure or is it perhaps, as I know, as some people do, it's sort of a sense of comfort that, okay, I know what I'm doing.
0: And it, I guess it's almost a level of sort of self-reassurance. I enjoy the challenge of pushing myself to, to do something brand new. I think something that I clocked early on in the business is that you it's very easy to get pigeonholed as as the guy that does this. And I very quickly got called in on the same roles over and over and and I was like, "Well, that's not why I became an actor at all. I don't want to keep playing this note." So I very quickly started gravitating to opposite ends of the spectrum and trying to to, you know, push myself in one direction in one way to prove to myself that I had range and that I could play different colors and also to prove to the the industry that I wasn't just that one thing either. So, I mean, I, would really dig the challenge, um, of, uh, shifting gears. If something scares me, uh, then I know that's probably a direction I want to,
1: I want to head. <laughs> Is it about testing yourself? Cause it's interesting what you said there about almost like saying, okay, can you do this? Do you sort of, it's like, okay, well, go on then. What can you do?
0: I <laughs> that, that seems fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, <laughs> when I went from playing a hippie in hair, which was kind of more of my comfort zone at the time and what I was being seen as, the next thing was to play a drag queen in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And that couldn't be further away from that. And it seemed terrifying and impossible. I was like, I I can't, I can't possibly do that. I should absolutely go in that direction. So yeah, it, I think it's the tightrope walk that, that is the allure to a lot of actors. Just like, it seems impossible and it's scary as hell and uh, and I'm going to do it anyway.
1: <laughs> is it a big pivot to be able to do that? I mean, if we take the reference of going from Hair to Priscilla, I mean, like, tick is so extreme to what you did in Hair. It just does it take a long time to be able to get there? And that seems slightly crude to say in that sense, but for you to be able to change as an actor and to
0: feel comfortable there, I guess, what's that journey sort of like? I mean, uh, it all varies. I don't know. I'm terrible about having like a process to figure out what, what my next thing's coming from. And they, and, and I'm always surprised when, when that window of (laughs) that portal into the character sort of opens up and I'm like, Oh, this is okay. I've got my first step in the door. And now, now, I can flesh out from here. Some take longer than others. Honestly, Gato in Assassins was probably one of my last minute <laughs> character discoveries that I've ever had. I, I'm not sure for what reason. I think one is that I did way too much uh, history on the actual guy. And while that was awesome, and if I were playing him in a biography movie or something, that would have been extremely helpful. But it didn't necessarily serve the piece um, in that he's written as a bit of a comic buffoon in the piece. So, so playing a lot of the heavier craziness that he had in real life wasn't going to necessarily serve our piece. And so, finding finding a. a a character, a dude that could, you know, service the insanity and the piece at the same time was, was just a trickier navigation than I, I wanted. <laughs> I
1: mean, we talk about sort of testing yourself and characterization, but perhaps if we take the Priscilla example, you just wanted to wear the heels, right? That's really the <laughs> That's pretty much it. That was pretty <laughs> much it. I just wanted to get dolled up. <laughs> I mean, literally disco songs, lots of fun. I mean, sometimes it's like, yeah, I want to be a really serious artist, but sometimes I do also just want to challenge myself and have fun. That seems fair. It was a ball. Yeah, I will say. And it was a good workout. every night just like like, at least I can have a little bit of empathy with what my wife goes through now like I can have just a bit of an understanding right exactly I and
0: now I I can be that bad husband when she's like I know but I just have to put on makeup and and shave my legs and I'm like yeah well I know what that's like (laughs) Sorry,
1: Not a sentence I could imagine you thought you'd be saying at the start of your marriage, but yeah, Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I get where you're, you're coming from. I want to talk quickly about the United Kingdom because you have a great relationship with British theatre here and that you've, of course, performed here. And you, I know yeah. that you come to the UK and you very much support British theatre. For sure. And it's the cliche question, like, is there a difference? But so many people now have this sort of transatlantic career where they get to spend time in the United States and then come to the West End. And also it's nice to see lots of Brits getting their opportunity to go to Broadway as much as there, of course, are the obvious differences. It does feel like one connected family. And I wonder, as
0: somebody that spent time in the West End and on Broadway,
1: would you agree with that? Theatre is
0: beautiful anywhere. I love it in a community theatre. I love it on a high school stage. I love it on the West End and I love it on Broadway. You know, that said, I think you calibrate to any environment, to any audience. And just like you calibrate a show to the tone of the piece and what you're trying to say, every, you know, every. Theater on Broadway is, is different on any night, given, given the piece and the size of the room and the intensity or, or lack thereof of, of the show that you're doing. That said, if I had to, you know, try to give big differences between the West End and, and Broadway, I would say Brits listen harder and it's the biggest uh, privilege as a performer. There's something about a, a British audience that that is maybe it's their exposure and, and lineage of Shakespeare, having to listen real hard to make it make sense. But from the get-go, when the curtain comes up, I feel like the Brits are just enraptured with the language and um, and their attention, and it's incredible. And I I, I want to throttle Broadway uh, folks sometimes for for their inability to do so. I mean, it's it's probably more of a tourism uh, based industry. In New York, I would I would imagine that a lot of folks that are on vacation are like, yeah, I guess we'll go to a Broadway show. Whereas on the West End, maybe a little less so. And then because the big show that I did over there was Hair, another big difference and this is probably because of the nature of our show. We were a very in-your-face kind of a show, energy-wise. And we were feeling very good about ourselves, I think, um, with the success of the show over here, just being rambunctious and raucous and and uh, and ballsy. And, uh, and so we went over to the West End thinking, this is great. They transplanted our whole show. We're going to do our thing. And the first night we went out there and I did my normal spiel where I kind of put my junk up in somebody's face. And the entire audience, just you could feel all of them just like back up about, 12 inches in their chairs and look away and it quickly became apparent like okay this is going to have to be a more delicate uh, relationship because they're not having this right off the bat because they just we just shut them down with our kind of American brashness and if we were just patient enough we learned pretty quickly that we could let them come to us and it you know it was an adjustment period of you know 20 minutes of the show where then we could go back to pretty much what we did but it was just like putting it on, on the audience's terms and, and letting them agree to the transaction instead of it being a little bit more of, a, of a, an artistic, um, taking advantage of someone. That was the most sort of British and perfect example of
1: how a UK audience reacts. Literally <laughs> 20 minutes of shock. I was like, you studied this to the T. Like you, you nailed exactly what we're like. <laughs> so true. It's, it, it does have just a little bit of observation. I went to to see um, Marianne Elliott's production of Cocklaire with Taryn Neshton and Jonathan Bailey. And, and they talk about su- such a variety of different things. And it was very much a listening audience until they sort of realised that they could start to be vocal and enjoy it. And it's, huh. it's just interesting. And I, I sort of love the study of how we particularly post pandemic as human beings are feeling connected while also still being individual. And it feels like theater has shifted a little bit.
0: Yeah. I'm interested to see how the dynamics of, of audiences play out in the near future. I mean, now there's a weird dynamic of, of everyone has to be vaccinated at certain theaters, but not other theaters. And, and uh, mask wearing is a, uh, strongly encouraged and other folks don't. And so there's this disconnect in the audience as well. When you you look next to you and someone's not masked and you're like, but it's always been such a communal experience. And I've always felt, and I think a lot of folks have this, this community of, oh, we are all coming here for the same purpose and therefore we're on the same team. And I, I, I'm sharing this experience with you as an audience member and to have these sort of disconnects, which at least in America have sort of, uh, political reverberations attached to them a little bit is a weird is a weird energy um and, and from the stage I think that's you know noticeable and odd and I just uh you know it's cliche to say now but I just I'm so ready to get back to do <laughs> the way it was it's back to
1: before to make a musical theater reference it's a very very stagey reference but also my favorite musical theater song ever so 10 points for that one that was that was okay. a very
0: strong choice Does the
1: same sort of shift happen in terms of you feel an audience either, I want to say, like freezing or reacting differently when you play a darker character or perhaps traditionally known as the baddie? For example, when you're in something like Waitress or if you're in Les Mis or whatever it might be, do you feel a different energy from an audience? Because they're perhaps not necessarily willing the character, on, but obviously they're
0: willing you willing you on. I mean, good question it, it, and hard to answer, I think. Because um, if I'm playing, you know, what one would say is the bad guy in a show, uh, you know, he's that guy from the beginning. So, so noticing a shift is, is maybe tricky because I wasn't on stage before that. Like if it's, if, if, like if it's sort of a, a comedy sort of show with what, like Waitress, for example, yeah, you definitely notice them kind of rollicking and having a good time. Um, yeah, I have no idea how to answer that question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the reaction to a drag queen versus a bad character and Waitress would be very different, but perhaps because there's no alternative to that, therefore you haven't had a different experience, as you say, with that particular audience on the night. So maybe the energy is different, but the reaction is the same, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, there's they're so different show to show as well that um, that clocking the differences between characters without comparing the differences between shows seems like changing the variables and, and uh, <laughs> we're in deep weeds now, I think. I feel like I might have just summed up theater, which is
1: its only individual <laughs> in terms of very funny, just because you be very calm with your time in terms of, the cast recording and people getting the opportunity to listen to it I know that it's a personal milestone for you I know it's a, a great thing for you to be able to know that the legacy lives on the journey lives on and you get to be part of as I mentioned earlier that sort of that sometime legacy and people will reference it and it will be their first sort of introduction to assassins but we think back as you referenced at the start to you listening and first discovering the genius of Stephen Sondheim in this show. What do you think this sort of moment now of being on a cast recording and having done the show will have meant to that person back then that started this journey? What do you think this would have meant to them?
0: If you had told a uh, 22 year old me that I would, one day make a cast recording of Assassins and would have received the personal approval of Stephen Sondheim um, among a cast of, of Broadway uh, elite, I, it would have absolutely blown my mind. I would not have believed you that I could have made it that far. And I would have been thrilled beyond my wildest dreams. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely a full circle kind of thing. It was one of the one of the kind of inspiring musicals that kind of solidified the the idea that I might want to do this permanently for a living. And, and uh yeah, for it to have been one of those shows uh that inspired me to now be able to have a, a cast recording on the books in a in a well-received production is thrilling. It's just it's been thrilled. The whole the whole production was dreamy start to finish and we almost didn't get there we got interrupted by the pandemic we started rehearsals and then had to shut down and we never thought we'd get all of us back together again and somehow we pulled it off
1: well it's been such a pleasure to get the opportunity to talk to you today thank you so much for your time and equally nice to chat with you william and congratulations again on the release of this it's unbelievably exciting it basically just means we've all got an excuse to listen to more of assassins not that we need it so thank you for giving us permission thank you <laughs> anything i can do to help amazing enjoy the rest of the day and i will see you very soon thanks a lot talk soon
2: You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at 11podcast.com or via the Broadway Podcast Network.